Welcome to Onward, the podcast where we explore social innovations and chat with the entrepreneurs moving them forward. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsman. There is more wealth than ever before amassed in the arms of a minute portion of the population. Like most biological systems, we humans find about 10 to 20% of our species in control of 80 to 90% of the resources. Trees in the forest share this trait with their mammalian and reptilian counterparts. Luckily, us mammals have uh, different tools and consciousness about redistributing the resources amassed by the few. In recent years, we've seen an influx of innovations and bold experiments in redistributing the wealth accumulated by the various institutions, organizations, and entrepreneurs at the top of this sick pyramid. These experiments fly under different flags, universal basic income, corporate social responsibility, social impact bonds, unrestricted granting, stimulus checks, gifts, social impact, and on and on. Some of these emerging given trends are making big impacts. Some of these are perpetuating existing problems. Some of these might be inviting new problems. And some of these giving practices just might be the key to the more just, equitable, and accessible future so many of us strive to bring about. To help us make sense of the emerging giving practices, we're joined by Susan Hairston, a titan in the field of philanthropy, an elected official, and now a business owner. Without further ado, I bring to you Susan Hairston on Emerging Practices in Philanthropic Given. You've worked in philanthropy at some of the largest global foundations for a significant portion of your career. So to, to help us kind of get into the flow, what drove you to dedicate so much of your life to, to this sector? Oh, that is a wonderful question. I think I've known since I was in um, elementary school that I wanted the fruit of my labor to impact uh, the greater good for humanity. Um, I took a little detour in high school, thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, <laughs> but that's all in the same spirit, right? In the helping industry. And so um, I got my master's degree in nonprofit management. I actually worked in the nonprofit sector for many years, but always on that operations and accounting side. And uh, I answered an ad in the New York Times to uh, apply for a job at the Ford Foundation. <laughs> Go figure. That's how we used to get jobs way back there, then, um, Daniel. And um, because I had been in the trenches for about 12 years on the nonprofit side, uh, really scraping together um, payroll and worrying about my clients and wanted to know what it would be like on the other side. So 1997, I got the dream call and uh, went and joined the Ford Foundation where I had an amazing career of uh, being on the operations side and really getting to see the things that um, mattered most to me, um, uh, communities, um, peace and social justice and arts and um, getting to see those things happen on a big scale around the globe. And um, 
it was just a beautiful experience and um, really was, I did not, I would have never told you that um, I expected to work there. Um, my career trajectory brought me there and it was following my passion. I've known you for maybe eight years now and I never knew that story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing an ad in the New York Times. It's wild. That's it. So you recently left philanthropy. I did. What are you doing now? So I am now a councilwoman in Summit, New Jersey. <laughs> and I also am uh, running my own business, Daniel. I have a management consulting firm uh, where it's the Susan Hairston Consulting Group. Our tagline is uh, strengthening funders and nonprofits that serve marginalized communities. So you still see that passion. Yeah. Uh, th that theme is still there. I'm so fortunate that uh, some colleagues have joined with me. And what we do is we make sure that the operations of the nonprofits are strong and uh, that they're able to serve their clients, that they're able to secure foundation funds. And um, what I uh, hope to do is help funders uh, to be as most helpful as they can to the nonprofits. And this um, um, collaboration between my life as a council person is I'm a policymaker. And so in my community, I get to make sure that um, we are um, uh, doing with policy that which looks out for the greater good of my community. And then in my private, my entrepreneurial hat, um, I am getting to make sure that the nonprofits and those funders are, are doing the right thing by marginalized communities. It's, it's such important work on all of these different fronts. And, it, and I'm interested in, in learning more about kind of this nexus of the, the private and the public settings. I mean, you're, you've had the opportunity to work on and are working on some, some big systemic challenges. Where do you see these sectors, you know, philanthropy, nonprofit, government, being able to work together better to make really big strides on some of the intractable issues we face? Wow, and um, we're really feeling that now, aren't we? It's, it's amazing, Daniel. It seems like you, um, we thought 9-11 was a big deal in our lives and now here we're having this global pandemic and we're having, which is happening, yes on COVID, yes on economic uh, and yes on social justice unrest, who, is equipped to address these. Yes, it has to be government. Government has the funds, it has the reach, it has the wherewithal. Um, philanthropy, absolutely. It has the freedom that the government doesn't have to risk take and experiment 
with these problems, with solutions, Daniel, with solutions, but also civil society. Those of us who are volunteering, those of us who are belong to associations, the corporate sector, everybody has to do their part in addressing these intractable issues that are happening right now. Um, but I believe uh, government and philanthropy have a opportunity through partnership. And, um, you know, I, I, I wanna make sure I look at my notes because um, I have a, a, a tagline for this year and it's do no harm. It's do no harm. And so um, government as it is setting out to make big change, it doesn't have the, um, the wherewithal because government takes so long. And when they put a policy into place, and I'm talking about at the federal level, at the state level, when, that, when something is made a law, it takes a long time before it reaches individuals. And that's where philanthropy picks up. It can move a little faster. And so we're trying to have solutions that impact um, communities, that impact people. And we have to be looking out for doing no harm. And that's where I see the opportunity um, for government and philanthropy to partner. It's not, it is not a new endeavor. It's been going on for many years. I joined the Ford Foundation in um, 1997, and I was amazed at one of the um, issues that they were working on was microfinance. And so, that is something that's bubbling up all over again with small business. And so the government um, actually puts out legislation and philanthropy and academia, they experiment with it and they uh, do uh, the research. And we have to keep that going to um, have good solutions for different constituencies. The word experiment uh, is just the perfect transition because in my mind, I'm seeing there's this growing wealth gap in our society that's really dis disconcerting. And then we've got this host of new ultra rich individuals. And so with this new mega rich, we're seeing them forwarding some different types of giving practices that we haven't seen. Some are calling them innovative, but they're, the practices are are different. I'm thinking of uh, Mackenzie Scott, Jeff Bezos's ex, just giving away millions, no strings attached. W what is exciting you about this new cohort of philanthropists? So I am thrilled with the boldness, with the um, let's get this done quickly with the magnitude. Um, and I am also a little nervous <laughs> because um, you heard my tagline for 2021, do no harm. 
Um, how are we paying attention to um, throwing money out there in um, ways that enable change to happen quickly? And um, how are we providing guidance? And how are we making sure um, we're not repeating history of harm? So um, I wanna say I'm excited. I'm, I'm uh, watching carefully. And um, I wanna say it's not new. Uh, I recall vividly when um, the Gates Foundation, Bill, Bill Gates um, would come to the Ford Foundation, so critical. You operate so slowly and you, the Ford Foundation is, you know, so bureaucratic, but they were watching everything we did and um, they did good. They improved on it. And, um, but at first they were very critical and we can do it better. And I often wanna ask people who have lots of money, please be careful of hubris and thinking you have all of the answers and um, be inquisitive and, and learn from the past. And, but I do want us to be bold mm -hmm. and, 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 and not take forever, um, but we do have to exercise caution. So I'm excited um, that um, there are new actors in the game um, because we need new ideas um, but there is something I'm worried about. And um, uh, in particular, there I'm seeing, uh, and I'm calling it profited, profiting off of the misery of marginalized, okay? And this is something I'm keeping my eye on. A lot of people are jumping into the social impact world. Mm -hmm and starting nonprofits, knowing that there is a way they're going to be able to make money down the road, okay? And so um, that is something I want us to keep our eye on. Um, and it's with these new actors jumping in uh, to the space because tax law is permitting them to do it, mm -hmm. okay? And, and what's the concern about people being able to, to do good financially and do good in the world? So let me just take you back to the real obvious um, um, faux pas where uh, the prison industrial complex. That is something that everyone thought was an opportunity for um, um, good to happen. And there was a lot of investment by uh, nonprofits, for-profits, academia, and it, it devastated black and brown communities. Okay. Um, so what the rub is, what the caution is, are you able to keep at the forefront 
the community that you are charged with helping and you are getting investors to invest in that community and they want to have a return on investment and who's the return benefiting? Mm -hmm. That is what I want philanthropy to pay attention to because there's a lot of actors moving into the space and um, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going into that space in my own business. I wanna educate these social impact investors and let them know centering the communities has to be at the forefront. And yes, you've got to take your time and um, don't expect a return right away. You have to invest in these communities um, and make sure that you're not only keeping your eye on when am I going to make money? Mm -hmm. And we know that's gentrification. That's another example. When we vest invest in a community and we make the city so nice that all of the lower income people have to move right out. It's so nice yeah. that younger, more um, uh, financially equipped folks are able to move in. We cannot operate in that way. It, it feels like as we're, we're evolving as a society, there's an increased awareness, consciousness about our our social ills, and thus for the, the consumers, the clients, uh, we're, we're putting pressure on our organizations, on our institutions to respond. And I think of all the greenwashing that's taking place in the organizations, um, but there's also some neat responses that uh, governments are taking and some businesses are taking, whether it goes under the label of corporate social responsibility and give back programs, volunteer incentives, um, or universal basic income. We've seen uh, Stockton's mayor just doing some amazing experimenting there. What do you think is working about these types of kind of more institutional giving efforts and what's problematic about these? So that's what I was touching on. I am thrilled um, because what has happened, Daniel, government has realized that they are not the best actors in um, providing relief to individuals and communities. Mm -hmm. And so they are trying to create incentives. And so I, uh, uh, I want us to examine those incentives, take advantage of them. Um, we know that this um, huge American rescue um, bill is gonna throw billions of dollars into states and communities with the good intentions of helping communities. Um, there's experimenting and we have to make sure the intended good actually happens. And so uh, they're in creating incentives for corporations, for employees to uh, be involved in efforts that help people. My, 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 my theme, 
I don't want them profiting off of the misery of marginalized. Yeah. I want them to be helpful. And the incentive is you have something to offer um, as the, um, when you're allowing your employees to volunteer. I have seen employees join boards and devastate a board by thinking that nonprofit should act the way the corporation acts. Yeah. Don't, please don't go into a, a nonprofit board th that, um, you know, is serving a marginalized population and think that what worked in your corporation will work for them. Understand, be culturally competent and um, apply your expertise with curiosity mm. and, um, you know, um, acknowledge that they, you do bring something awesome, um, but so do they. And don't come in to be the savior and the rescuer and not understanding um, or, and operating from a deficit lens. Um, you bring something, yes. So I am loving that there are incentives to get uh, corporate and um, individuals volunteering and thank God that they've um, uh, also made it uh, good for us to donate again. We can um, uh, write that off of our, our taxes tax dollars, because that's what nonprofits, um, you know, rely on donations. And so uh, do those matches. These are good things. But what I am concerned about, we have now turned over the care of individuals and um, uh, vulnerable people to nonprofits. And then we constrain nonprofits we regulate them up the gazoo and then we encourage them. Don't pay your staff too much. Um, so you can't hire best in class to serve. So it's, it's a double-edged sword that I am wanting philanthropy when they give their foundation dollars. Don't constrain the nonprofits, help them. Um, government does have to be careful that they're not uh, um, encouraging fraud. And so they have to have boundaries and government takes long it, 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 um, before it hits the communities and people, it's gone through so many iterations, but philanthropy is a little bit closer. And so I, I want the new folks who are coming in to be mindful of uh, these new products that you're talking about. Do no harm, please. <laughs> so, so what sort of incentives do you think uh, philanthropic institutions could put in place to create more healthy, sustainable nonprofits? Um, yeah, that is a good one. And so uh, right now, um, I would say uh, the foundations have been, at least I've been watching the big ones. Um, they're particularly noticing BIPOC communities 
Black and Indigenous-led uh, organizations, uh, the Band-Aid is off. We see that these um, communities, um, when the rest of the world catches a the cold, they get pneumonia. And so um, I want uh, foundations to help um, these organizations, these communities um, get a chance to do what they don't have the opportunity to do. Look within, get stronger. They need um, um, opportunities to build up their infrastructure and that's talking about technology. They need opportunity to um, do planning. They need opportunity to um, uh, um, be culturally competent in knowing their communities that they serve. They need to be able to um, um, pivot. And that is where foundations have a wealth of knowledge that they've been funding for years. Pull out those old studies. Don't make the nonprofits have to bring you statistics. Again, if you have those statistics, make them available um, because they're operating in crises mode now and they need to strengthen their boards. They need to uh, do succession planning. Um, this, this transition to um, everything being done digitally now, we've had to work virtually. Have we equipped them to do that? Um, um, the younger folks do it effortlessly. Us older folks, it's been more of a transition. And so we have to equip them. We have to give the um, nonprofits, like I said, time to train their boards, um, get board members now. Um, um, these, uh, these boards need training. And um, I wanted to uh, make sure that uh, foundations are listening and, um, and acting. So we're seeing the likes of uh, the Ford Foundation, the Packard Foundation, moving forth with uh, social bonds. This is one trend of kind of a new way of expediting, giving, creating more. What in this realm are you hopeful that is going to continue in years to come? So moving from just the experimental learning phase to what might be able to be sustained to create the impacts that our community needs. So Daniel, I have to repeat um, my hope that um, doing no harm is at the center of these bonds. We are now talking about investments. We're now talking about debt being used to um, um, do good. And some communities are totally unfamiliar with this um, trajectory. It's one that I am really um, trying to make uh, sure that uh, that uh, new level of giving is um, including um, women and BIPOC. Yeah. Um, 
especially black and brown people, um, because these are folks who have not understood the market approach uh, to doing good. Why? Because it's been a very closed uh, door. It's been a very closed community. And um, it, when you look at the percentages, and I hope I'm answering your question um, correctly, because these bonds are uh, something I'm seeing in my role in government. Um, we are doing redevelopment mm -hmm. and um, we are hiring firms. And when I see the firms that they're hiring, there are no people of color in these firms and uh, they are creating long-term because um, um, bonds are long-term investments and they are, um, I am concerned not thinking about how they are going to uh, benefit or harm communities. And so I, I asked the question, who are you employing? Because now I'm in that position since I'm uh, uh, in municipal government. And I wanna make sure everybody that is asking that question and not just doing surveys. Are you hiring people? Are you giving those contracts? Are you educating people in how bonds are used? And so, um, so I'm excited about the opportunity to create capital to do good, but um, people who are only looking for ROIs, and I've been actually talking to these folks, um, have no clue what you're talking about um, from the foundation world. Um, and I, from the foundation world, had no idea what they were talking about. We speak totally different languages. And so I said, oh, this is something that we need to learn because when they're saying they wanna see something that's happening, that's doing good, they're asking very different questions right. than I am. And so I was like, oh, we gotta, we gotta expand that rubric. What is success to you is different than what is success to me. And that's where my do no harm comes in. And I ask those questions. So that's where I'm hoping um, that happens. And when you're asking these questions, when you're uh, requesting that these folks are putting their money where their mouth is, what's the response you're getting? So um, language is everything and uh, blind spots exist. And so it's a surprise when I ask the question and um, it, it may appear that I seem to be monolithic <laughs> and, you know, why are you constantly asking about this, this question, you know, of black and brown people and um, um, what does that have to do with, like I said, return on investment? And I said, it's because you have a different uh, definition of success. And I said, for you, um, you want to know when will uh, 
this $500,000 that you put in, when will it be making money? And I am wanting to know um, the definition of success. How many young people who were excluded are now being helped by that investment that you made. So I want you to broaden your definition. And so things that you weren't originally curious about, I wanna make sure you're curious about, and I wanna put that um, in your uh, definition of success. So it's, it's really, uh, when you ask, how are they responding? First, they really don't know what I'm talking about and we have to find common language. That's why storytelling is so important. Uh, we have to find ways to connect, and um, and we we um, we have to uh, not give up. Not give up. So in that vein, I mean, as I sit here, read the news, read Twitter day after day, it's like there's a tsunami coming towards us. Where are you finding hope? Where do you see the wind is to our back that we can start addressing some of these? you know, societal diseases in, in ways that are going to be sustained? Well, I'm, I'm loving the, the young people who are coming along. They have a boldness. Um, they have an impatience. They have a curiosity. And um, that's what, and they have an empathy, Daniel that I want to be partnered with wisdom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I don't know where those opportunities exist. Um, um, but that's what's giving me hope because um, when you're older, and wiser, you know more things to be afraid of. <laughs> and so um, we have to know we the wise, know we have something to learn from the bold and the young. And so that's where um, I'm hopeful. And um, I do see um, uh, this opportunity to pause is also, we've been forced to see things and to see each other. And I'm, I'm encouraged by that um, because we were rolling along so quickly, we did not see our fellow man. We are now so connected in ways that we never knew. And I am grateful for that pause. And um, some people were able to plant gardens and, you know, cook um, and, you know, do new recipes. <laughs> I, I didn't get to do that. <laughs> um, but it, I did get to connect with people I wouldn't normally connect with and do things I wouldn't normally do, read a book. Um, and, and like I said, pause. And, um, um, and look out for my fellow man, um, seniors who um, need to be helped uh, because everything is happening virtually now. We have got to care for others 
and um, uh, people who are um, um, the essential workers, we call them, who are not, they were invisible to us before. Now we need them and we need to care about what works for them and their health. And so that, that is unusual to me that I would say such horrible times have now, I see an opportunity that it is um, an awakening yeah. for I, the possibilities. So, I, and I, you know I, me, I'm always gonna try to see <laughs> the bright side of something. You're, you're right on, we're all broken open in this way. Yes. A lot of light shining through as we're, we're sitting here. But I don't want us to lie to each other. It it's not rosy. It's not rosy, and and we have to have that urgency that I I am loving from young folks. And I, I love that. That's where you you went with that response because I I've been thinking about you know pairing the the wisdom of experience with the energy of youth. Because I don't, I don't feel like my generation, the generations uh, behind me, we don't have the time to make the same mistakes. And the only way that we can, you know, leapfrog those mistakes is learning, is partnering with those that came before us, with our elders, with that wisdom that only comes with the experience. So I, I so appreciate you, you sitting down with me today, sharing so much of your amazing experience your heart, your empathy, your your mind, your business sense. Um, thank you, Susan. But my pleasure, my pleasure. Please tell your listeners that they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Susan Hairston Consulting Group, and uh, follow me. And um, I am trying to be very intentional about giving tips to both funders and nonprofits about how you can uh, strengthen marginalized communities. So thank you so much for having me, Danny. Any last words or calls to action before we wrap for the day? Yes, self-care. Self-care is my call to action because we have been assaulted by the last year's worth of trauma uh, with the uh, global pandemic on multiple fronts. And so our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health is calling for us to take good care of ourselves while we're looking out for each other. So that's my call to action. Thank you, Susan. Do no harm. The inverse I read into this is tukun olam. That's the Hebrew version of leave the world a bit better than you found it. And as the well-heeled continue to experiment with giving in hopes of creating a more just, equitable society, I really can't help but think of Marshall McLuhan, who said, we shape our tools, then our tools shape us. It's exciting to hear about the new breed of giving that is popping up, and always good to temper excitement and exuberance about innovations with the reality and reminder that there ain't much new under the sun and the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I walk away from today's conversation with a better understanding of the problems some emerging giving practices are inviting and simultaneously excited that fresh ideas, 
and wise ideas from the past, well-trode ideas are continuing to be implemented as we seek to close the growing gaps that engulf our global citizenry. Thanks for tuning in to the Onward podcast. It's your support, it's your feedback, it's your comments, it's your suggestions that are really driving this show forth. So if you've got any comments, feedback, questions, suggestions, connections, you name it, feel free to get at me at dweinzveg at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Daniel Weinsveg, spelled the same way. If you're enjoying the show, give it a like on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Make a comment, share it with somebody you think could be inspired, turned on, informed by the conversations we have here. A little social engagement on this weird technology mainframe goes a long way. Before I go, I'd like to give a big shout out to my dear friend, Jay Lately. Jay Lately's music is the soundtrack to the Onward podcast. So if you dig the tunes that's behind the music, the the intros, the transitions, that's all Jay Lately. Check him out on Spotify. He's been doing this work, following his heart, inspiring folks with his poetry, his words, and his passion for over 10 years. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, onward and upward. <laughs>